Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. So I want to take a moment to reiterate that wonderful message that Pastor Ian gave last Sunday on how God can redeem a culture and that cultures are redeemable. And you could even create a culture that's redemptive. He was talking about his experience with hip-hop, hip-hop music as a kid that he loved and, and that he grew up to love and he was being told when he was a kid it was of the devil. It's not of the devil. Hip-hop music is not of the devil. However, if you want some really good reasons to not like hip-hop music, I can talk with you after service. You know? <laughs> I mean, why would you like hip-hop when there's polka? You know? <laughs> oh, man. What would you like, Polka? <laughs> I have the sense I'm a, I'm a minority in this all, right? So I remember when I was a young Christian being like personally kind of appalled. I'd come into faith, and, and at that time, we're talking about like the 80s. At that time, it was like evangelicals were almost embarrassed about Christmas, at least certain troops of them. You know, so you, you got these, and you still see them, like the bumper sticker, there's, he's the reason for the season. Where you see a bumper sticker that says, yeah, he was born to be crucified. Have you seen those? And all that's true. And all that's good and it's wonderful. But it's almost as if in those days, it was almost as if people were upset about the world getting in on Christmas. Yeah. I mean, they were kind of like embarrassed, you know. And there was kind of like this, this subtle intention working in people. And, and it was kind of like, yeah, you don't know the real things that's going on here, but we're privy to all the truth of it, and you shouldn't be able to celebrate it. My God, wow! The bo- I'm sorry. <laughs> ah, aha! This stuff moves around while he worships, you know. <laughs> now, is that okay? All right. What's that? Do I want water? Yeah, thank you. Wow, okay. There's some right there. Behold, whoever gives a prophet a drink of water shall be a prophet themselves, you know. <laughs> All right, so where was I? Anyway, so, so it was like, you can't get in on this. This is the, the, the privilege of the church. And, and I just thought, what is it that can make the church, the grinchiest people, you know, uh, of the whole Christmas season. There was this gal by the name of Helene Lepkowski, and her husband was Will, and they attended the New Covenant. She began to attend NC4. She was a, a reporter for the Washington Times, a star reporter, and she's still a writer. And her husband was a, 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 an editor of an engineering journal, a major engineering journal. And they came to the New Covenant because they were completed Jews. She was raised Jewish in Manhattan all of her life, and was suddenly became aware that Jesus Christ was her Messiah. But she belonged to a church that kind of denigrated Christmas for the sake of Easter. And I love Easter, and I don't even get into that. But the point was, it was almost, she said, so all, all this time I would celebrate Hanukkah, she said, and I would celebrate Hanukkah, but I always felt like I was missing some deep truth. There was something there that I wasn't kind of grasping. So I I finally discovered who my Messiah was, and I discovered the birth of my Messiah, 
and then nobody wants to really celebrate it, or they want to mute it, mute it for the sake of, of, of getting rid of all the glitz and pomp and circumstance of the Christmas season. And she said, I had to find a church that really celebrated Christmas. So she came to be with us, which is kind of wonderful, yeah? So what is that? You know, see, I, I, I find that authenticity with which I can celebrate, I'm speaking personally here, the incarnate Jesus and the way I enjoy worshiping my way through Advent, is, I find it's contagious to my family and to my friends. I find my family likes to come to Christmas services. Even though some of them are unbelievers, they end up making it a hallmark of their year. What is that? See, I adore the mystery of the manger, the mystery of the child God, and I reckon that at Christmas... Very, very, very many people subliminally get some of the truth of Christmas. Are you there? Whether they're willing to, to recognize it or not. And, and so this is my prophetic sensibility. It's that the truth of Christmas is so magnificent that it yet continues to haunt unbelievers. Yeah? See, isn't it interesting? Easter doesn't seem to make the atheist sweat. But Christmas really makes the atheist sweat. You know, they want to eradicate the manger scenes. They want to uh, uh, eliminate the merry Christmases for the sake of even eliminating the word Christmas itself. <laughs> I, got, I can't go there, can I? <laughs> for even, even eliminating the word Christmas itself, Christ Mass. And so I, I find that kind of fascinating. It's almost as if Herod's, Herod's stormtroopers, right, still want to get rid of the baby, still want to get rid of the manger, and not that much has changed in 2,000 years. Because, because people do not want a rival king in their lives other than themselves, yeah? All right, so this is why, by the way, there was all that pre-COVID hoopla about saying happy holiday instead of Merry Christmas. Remember that? You know, that's kind of gone down, you know, it's, which is neat, it's kind of neat. Now, this morning's text follows our Advent theme of dirt and glory. And dirt and glory is a stylized picture of the incarnation of Jesus. You realize the name Adam in Hebrew means dirt. It means soil. It means dust of the ground. But I want us to be very careful when we iterate the truth because it can take on the error of thinking that when God became one of us in Christ, he kind of had to do it. Huh? He, he became dirtied or sullied by humanity when he became one of us. And that's not true at all. There is this deception that the birth of Jesus was the Father's plan B to address the fact of humanity's sin. And so he was forced to become the second Adam. I remember a Christmas play that New Covenant put on back 20 years ago. And the opening scene of the play was all the angels assembled around somebody who was Jesus and the father said, I have to send you into all the muck and the mire. And heaven was sad. And the angels were, were weeping. And I'm thinking, that's not the manger picture. You know, that's not what happened in the, in, 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 in the, to the shepherds in the skies. It was like glory to God in the highest. There, I mean, there was a Christmas party in heaven waiting to be celebrated from before the foundation of the world. Yeah, huh? really. That's Christmas. Okay, so here's, here's the truth. Jesus never 
came to be slumming among us. He came to ennoble us. As a matter of fact, the incarnation and the birth of Jesus was the most ennobling thing to ever happen to the history, in the history of humankind. Okay, so in coming to be one of us, the Son of God ennobled us forever to captivate us, to become captives to him, which is why I call this message Christmas prisoners. We're all Christmas prisoners. The text that illuminates this truth the best of all the, chapter, of all the chapters in the scripture is chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. And this is the book where Paul's grandest understanding of the relationship between Jesus and, and his church finds expression. Now, our theme this morning is the challenge of Christmas. Pastor Ian assigned that to me. <laughs> and I, so I had to be thinking this week, like, what is the challenge of Christmas in Ephesians 4? And so I'm going to preach and I'm going to teach a little bit because we're approaching a really, really misunderstood priest piece of scripture, especially for us charismatics. It's a text where Paul who was captive in Rome. You can go, by the way, to that cell in Rome right now. I mean, today. You could, if you're in Rome, you could visit the cell where Paul was being held prisoner. And it's a text where Paul, who was captive in Rome, by the way, in the NRSV, it says he's a prisoner in the Lord. And Paul constantly writes, and he never says, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He never says, I'm a prisoner of the Gentiles. He says, I'm a prisoner of God. I'm a prisoner in the Lord, and I'm a prisoner of the gospel, or for the sake of the gospel. And so he's writing, and he's begging the church to become so captivated by Jesus that the church itself becomes captive as well. Huh? And so before we begin reading the text, and you're going to have to follow me because I'm going to be doing some exegeting or interpreting here. It's, it's a difficult text for a couple of reasons, but before we begin reading it, it's especially important to grasp that there's no chapter division in the original Greek. So I'm not beginning in Ephesians 4. I'm beginning in the last verse of Ephesians 3, which we quote all the time. And then I'm going to go into 4 because 4 begins with a therefore. And whenever you see a therefore, you want to know what it is. Therefore, good, good charismatics all here. All right. <laughs> Ephesians 3.20. Now to him, Paul is speaking. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. And some translations say, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. And we usually stop there. We usually stop halfway through the verse because we think, wow, I can do more than we're asking or thinking. That may mean I've asked for a Chevy and I can get a Lexus or a Tesla, right? But, but if we continue, the verse says this, to him be glory in the church. This whole thing is about the church. Paul is in love with the church. I've been in ministry now for 45 years, and I'm in love with the church, but I am constantly struggling with my own sense of, of both celebration and disappointment in this thing called the church. Like, for example, we're going we're gonna to close by reading the Nicene Creed this morning. And it's, it's written, what, 325, it's 1,700 years 
old, maybe 1,800 years old. And, and, and it's, it's a prayer that we both declare and pray about our core beliefs. And this coming Christmas, that will be prayed and, and, and it will be declared in the cathedrals and the churches of Kiev and the cathedrals and the churches of Moscow. And yet they're in the midst of carnage with one another. But it's still the church. So Paul's in love with the church without any sense of, of, of illusions of how difficult it is to be the church if you're the church, right? And yet here we are still in love with the church. And Jesus is coming for church without spot and blemish. It's pretty amazing if you think of it. Or think about your own experiences with church, the disappointment, the things that give you pause, the, 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 the sense of questions that you have about what didn't work out, what you hoped for, the, the ideas of, of how hard it is to love some people when you're required to love all the people in the church. And yet Paul never backs down. Peter never backs down. John never backs down. Jesus died, and it is his church that he's coming for without spot and blemish. That's us. Okay, so that's that's the context here. Okay, the context and focus from which Paul the prisoner speaks is all about the church. Everything he has to say has to do with the establishment of the church, the unity of the church, the dignity of the church, the well-being of the church. And we're talking about the local church here too, because that's where things get messy. Yeah. All right. So with that in mind, we understand Paul's upcoming therefore and what it is therefore, right? Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul's burden is the church and the people who are called. And by the way, the word, the word with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And there is this word one, one. It's used throughout the passage. Eager to maintain, verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are all called to the hope are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, verse 7. But, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Or it could be translated this way, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the gift who is Christ himself. And, and so Jesus is the gift. He's the Christmas gift here. All right? And verse 7 says, it says, we have this gift. It's saying that we have received a gift according to the measure of Jesus who is the gift himself. And now, because of that, we get another therefore. Therefore, it says, and now Paul does something interesting here. He's not quoting Psalm 68, but he's referring to Psalm 68 in a really special way. When he ascended on high, he led host, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men and women. That's a generic word. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, 
Well, what does it mean? But that he ought also descended into the lower regions, the earth. The NIV translates that, the lower earthly regions. Verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, I understand that all the charismatics here have been around for a while know what comes next, right? And he gave apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, pastors, and teachers. Y'all, y'all know, is that new for many people here, right? That's what we default to usually, yeah? The, the big, the, the honchos, you know, you know, it gets us off the hook. I'm not apostle, I'm not Paul, I'm not Peter. So I can take all this stuff from verse 1 right down through verse 10 and just kind of designate it to them and, and get out of jail free. Yeah? <laughs> but I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. That's the, the charismatic default option. The most important portion of this passage is not what we call the fivefold ministry, apostles and prophets, etc. The most important question to be asked of this text is who is descending and who is ascending and why? So what I'm going to tell you is that this descent to earth from the heavenly regions to the earth is the gift who is Jesus Christ himself. And this is the Ephesian Christmas picture. Huh? This is the manger. It's the Ephesian Christmas card. His descent into the world to become one of us eventuated in an ascent to the Father that gives us all hope, life, and responsibility. Challenge. Yeah? Jesus, in his ascension, is this victorious king with prisoners in tow who he then gives back to the world for the sake of his gospel and his church. So when we ask, who is the one descending that is then ascending, because that's what this is all about, Jesus, certainly, he lets Nicodemus know. Jesus says to Nicodemus, if I have told you earthly things and you don't believe them, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. See, Saint, Saint Nicodemus was the first Saint Nick. <laughs> now, if we pay close attention, Paul does something awesome and clever here that he doesn't do anywhere else in the entire New Testament. Psalm 68 is the psalm about David's conquest of the Jebusite city of Jerusalem. And in it, God and David are ascending to Mount Zion. Now watch this. He would dis- that the ascending king, okay, who just won the great battle, would display his soldiers, whom he freed from foreign armies, in a triumphal procession. Okay, so he would he would take these soldiers that were just free. Think of the Eighth Army freeing up a, a prison camp in Germany and assembling all the POWs behind the existing army and taking them out of the prison camp in in victory. That's the picture. That's given here. That's the Christmas picture. These were recaptured captives, and the king would announce their freedom in public, and these people were in bondage, but now they're set free. And this is what we mean by when we say he led captivity captive. Huh? See, we're all in that entourage this morning. Are you there? 
Every one of us are in that entourage. And, and here's what's crazy cool. Where, where in Psalm 68, 18, David describes the victorious king by saying that he received gifts from men. If you go back to Psalm 68, it doesn't say what it says in Ephesians 4. It says, he led captivity captive and he received, the king victoriously received gifts from men. But Paul turns it around on itself and he said, he says, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men and women. All right. And well, why would he do that? Well, as a victorious king distributes spoils to his city, Jesus imparts gifts to the church. And the gifts that Jesus gives are his captives. And that is us. We are his Christmas prisoners. We are given ones. Now, I understand that Paul goes on to say that, you know, the fivefold ministry and all of that, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, and all those wonderful things. My problem is that when we read Ephesians 4, we default to those ministries that we don't think we can get in on, which isn't true. But we preached upon that lots of times in the last 20 years, and we can do that. That's for another day. This is what's for today. The Christmas message today is this. The incarnate Jesus is the gift to the world and the church, and the gifts he gives to his church are none other than you and I, you and me. So in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, he doesn't write his letter to the apostles. He doesn't write the letter to, 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 to elders, to deacons, to, to prophets, to evangelists. He, he writes it to the saints. That's all of us. The saints who are at Ephesus. Figuratively, we are in Ephesus. Okay, so when Paul says to the saints, you know, look, I I urge you, I'm a prisoner. I'm sitting here thinking about stuff, praying. And he says, I'm a prisoner and I urge you. The word urge means I beg. Paul says, I beg you, church, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You who are called. So that implies that everybody here is called. Every one of us has a calling on our lives. That God has said from before the foundation of the world, hey, Grubby, you're called. I got something for you to do, but more importantly, when you do it, you'll become something I've called you to be. Right? And for every one of us this Christmas, going into this new year, every one of us are called to something to do and be. Now, the fascinating thing for me in 40 years of ministry is... You know, how many Christians have either not seen that fact or chosen to ignore it? Really? So I, I find this, you know, kind of interesting. The real challenge of Christmas is to walk in a manner worthy of calling, as Paul begs all of us to do. And the remainder of the book of Ephesians contains all kinds of challenges. There's a, a marriage challenge, a family challenge, a spiritual warfare challenge. But, but without a passion for Jesus, none of that becomes realized in the first place. All those challenges about marriage and spiritual warfare and how to live life and husbands and all these wonderful things, you can't do them if you have no passion for Jesus and no passion for the church. You never get there. 
So that's my challenge to us going into 2023. You know, that's what I felt like the Lord said. That, you know, the challenge of, of Christmas, firstly, is a challenge to be called. A challenge to be given. A challenge to love that way. A challenge maybe to redefine who you are in your own mind in order to become the gift that is the gift that emulates the gift of Jesus. Yeah. And that's the message this morning. It's not very fancy, a little hard to get to, but, but it's, it's, it's profound, yeah? And so here's the deal. How do you do that? Like, well, I don't know how I'm gifted. So, oh, I know, let's, let's have a gifting workshop. <laughs> and then you go to the gifting workshop and you figure something out, but then you never really can figure out how to do what you figured out. Are, are you there? Uh, as a matter of fact, the elder said to me one time, we need to have, one of, one of the, the people on staff was always constantly on me to do these gifting workshops where you fill out a paper and then you, just set, you find out what you're gifted to be, which is such an artificial way to approach this whole thing. And I just said to the elders, I said, listen, guys, I said, I, I'm at a point right now where I want to have a workshop for people to find out what they're not gifted to do that they're trying to do. <laughs> It's like, you know, it's like the sister who comes up to sing the solo, and yeah, she's completely, to- totally ignorant, you know. <laughs> and you, you work your way through it, you listen, and you love her, and they say, that was great, sister, and she can't wait to do it the next time. And, you know, it's that kind of thing. We don't do that so much these days. But, so, but, but I don't want to demean the fact that we're called. Every one of us are called. And here's the interesting thing. We're called mostly to the local church. We're called to one another. Every one of us are gifts to one another. You know, you can turn, uh, you, know, you can turn to your person, to the person next to you and say, you're my gift. I want to rap you, but not with rap music. You know, it's, uh... <laughs> I, I can't do Eagles jokes anymore. They're winning. I got to do rap jokes. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, Here, I can't I do jet jokes till Jesus comes. All right. <laughs> I don't know my calling. That's what, what I hear people say all the time. Well, if that's you this morning, here's something I'd like, I'd like us to do going into, as a church, going into 2023. Bob Rattler's preaching the same message in in Bethlehem this morning, read verses one through five devotionally every day. Try, try to do this. Get up, slurp your coffee, right? Whatever it is you, you do in the morning. Open, open or turn on your Bibles. Go to Ephesians 4 and then read Ephesians 4, one through five. I'll read it again and ask God, what is that about? How is that not some idealistic thing that we can never live up to, how does that work for me? And begin to query the Holy Spirit about who we are and allow him to redefine us. Allow him to to vent us if need be as we go into 2023. I sense there's a a lot of reinvention prophetically going to be going on in this church. So that's the first thing. Go to Ephesians 1 through 5 devotionally. Do it for two weeks going into 2023. Take you five minutes tops. Should take you more than that once 
the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, okay? Pray and ask God. Now, here's the second thing. Be willing. That's the hard part. Like, what if you're being reinvented and, and you're unsure of it? You don't know if it's true. There's a stepping out in faith that has to come, which has everything to do with the volunteerism that, that Ian and others have been talking about going into the new year. It's been a, a refrain here. Be willing. Next, be obedient. Being obedient and being willing are not necessarily the same thing, but they're attached to one another. But then do this. Ask for the same passion for the church that Paul and Jesus have to capture your life, my life. Because there are times, I wonder how many people really are passionate for the church. Really. And the way that we see in the New Testament. I mean, it's so, we, we choose our churches like pizza parlors. Yeah? Rather than people to whom we're called and to whom we're given, and rather than people who are given to us as gifts, as surely as the gift is Christ the gift at Christmas. I, I feel like this is something God wants to do for the new year. Matter of fact, James, are you back there, James? I, I, could I, is it okay if I give you a prophetic word? Yeah. Now I hear the Lord saying, <laughs> you sure? <laughs> is this being recorded? Good. So I hear the Lord saying that he's taking you into a season, James, of co- consolidation and challenge. And I hear the Lord saying, that wisdom is justified in her children. And you have accumulated knowledge for years and years and years. I hear the, the Lord saying, I'm pleased with the knowledge that you've accumulated. But now I'm taking you into a season where it's going to be sorted and distilled and generated so that it becomes wisdom that you can minister to others. God says, I'm giving you a public gift but you need to get your ticket punched, says the Lord. But I'm, and I'm going to challenge you biblically, not grievously, but productively and developmentally in ways that you've not been challenged before by the word of the living God. People are going to come to you with words and you're going to see the words yourself as you do your, your daily devotions, as you do what you're called to do. But God says it's a new day. It's a day of challenge, and it's a day of consolidation. And the knowledge that I've given you is factual. It's, it's not directive, but it's going to become directive. And when it becomes directive, it's the children of wisdom, says God, that I've ordained for you from before the founding of the world. It's who you are. So the Lord says, receive the gift of wisdom. Receive the gift and the anointing of understanding like you have not received before. And when the challenge comes, be obedient and be willing and be joyous, says the Lord. Amen. Good word. Amen. Yeah. The the other thing I have, yeah, I'm I'm five minutes over. The other thing I have, she says, I'm watching you. You're five minutes over. So... That's the second Holy Spirit right over there. You know? <laughs> the, the other thing that I have is this. And I gave this, this word in, in Bethlehem 
two, two or three weeks ago, I can't remember when, and I, I, with the permission of the leadership there, and, and I ended up praying for people the whole service. I, I don't know if I can do that today, but I will pray for a couple people if it's pertinent to you after the service. And this is the word. Let's see if I can gather it. I hear the Lord saying, I am a God who will not be managed, and you've been attempting to manage me. And the Lord is saying, you can't manage me. You think that someone is in your way regarding what I've called you to. You think that, 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 that something or someone, either in the past or currently, is in the way of you becoming fulfilled in, in your purpose in life. But God says, no, 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 no. It's not, it says today, this season is the season where I'm going to crush that thought. And I'm going to resurrect in you a new perception of who you are. Because I'm not in your way. They're not in your way. The memory of that is not in your way. None of that is in your way. You're in your own way. The Lord says, become the gift. Be willing. Be given. And today is the day of a reinvention of who you are in your own eyes and in the purposes of living God. Amen. And amen and amen. Okay, and I'll be happy to pray for someone or anyone after that. Just quickly break anything that's keeping you from that, which characterizes yourself. All right, I'd like you to stand, closing. Here is a great mystery. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Eager. Wow. One hope that belongs to your call. See, your call is wrapped up in hope. Yeah. Your call is wrapped up in hope. The bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Could you possibly read that once a day? or I don't know, 20 days or so, and say, well, what is that call? How does that involve me? What, what, are, you, what are you calling? How, how can I be worthy of something I don't even know for sure what it is? You know, God's going to, God, there's a spirit of revelation coming in, in the month of January and February. We're going to get that. And the Lord's going to be distributing gifts according to the gift of Christ. And everybody's in on it. Everybody's in on it. Everybody's in the game, yeah? So with that in mind, I want to segue to the declaration that's encapsulated in what we just talked about and supersede the mystery of why there are churches praying this prayer that we're going to pray who are killing one another with bombs and missiles right as we speak, yeah? That crazy stuff. I saw a picture this week of Russian Orthodox priests burying the Russian dead outside of Donetsk in the Ukraine. And then I saw a picture of Ukrainian Orthodox priests burying the Ukrainian dead 
with the same liturgy. And I think, how can Paul say this? See, that's why we have to go to it and pray for wisdom. Huh? Okay. All right. St. Irenaeus said, we are what we pray. We are what we declare. So let's read this together. Can you put up the Nicene Creed? There it is. Most of you know what this is. Almost 1,800 years old. Let's say it together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he arose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins and look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Hallelujah. That's a Christmas prayer. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.